0: Welcome to Smart Poker Study, the podcast dedicated to helping you play more effectively, earn more money, and be 1% better every day. I'm your host, Sky Matsuhashi. In last week's episode number 267, I discussed the benefits of having an attitude of gratitude for poker players. It's poker study time, y'all. Hello, and welcome to episode 267 of the Smart Poker Study Podcast. My name is Sky, and welcome to you first-timers, and of course, welcome back to you long-timers. Thank you so much for subscribing in your favorite podcatching app, and thanks for sharing the show by clicking that little share button, however you want to do it, Facebook, Twitter, you know, all that jazz. You must subscribe because every week I give you valuable poker strategy episodes. This is the place for growing your poker skills with practical tips, advice, and action steps because action is the greatest teacher. Today I'm going to share with you my preparation and the results from the annual home game poker tournament that I play in, which is called the Turkey Shoot. It was the 15th annual one this year. I had a lot of good times. But in this episode, I'm going to share with you a valuable lesson learned that cost me about $200 in profit, I would estimate. But before I get to that, I want to let you know that this episode of the Smart Poker Study podcast is brought to you by ThePokerForge.com, my poker training membership site. So members get access to a growing library of strategy videos and resources that cover everything you need to become a winning poker player there's a different theme every month with at least eight videos all geared toward turning you into the player that you want to be. So far, some of the themes uh, that I've covered have been hand reading, preflop hand selection, and profitable c-bets. And this month, we are diving deep into finding the fold. So members are learning to spot the signs that their hand is second best and developing the skill of finding the necessary fold. You know how tough it is to fold pocket aces or top pair top kicker or your flopped set when that third flush comes on the river, right? Well, we are going to help you with those problems this month. Uh, there's also a monthly live Q&A, uh, quizzes, bonus resources, discounts, and perks as well. Plus, you get to build poker friendships and share advice in our active member community. So thepokerforge.com is the place to be for serious poker players. It's a no-brainer! So go to thepokerforge.com to check it out and join today. Alrighty, let's get to the turkey shoot. So please visit the show notes page for everything I discussed today at www.smartpokerstudy.com slash pod268. And on that page, you can see uh, a picture of the turkey shoot t-shirt that I won for cashing in the tournament this year. And you'll also find a little ICM chopping video there for you to help you using an ICM chopping program. Okay, it's time. Gambate! And now for our feature presentation. So if you remember about a year ago in episode 212, I talked about the 14th annual turkey shoot. It's a uh, home game tournament that my cousin Bert and his best friend, they put on every year the day after Thanksgiving. Well, last year's event was $125 buy-in, a 27-man tournament, and at the end, I chopped it four ways, and I took home almost $400. This was last year, mind you. Now, this year's tournament was a little different. We had been holding it at a local card room, but this year they didn't want us there anymore on a Friday night. They tried to bump us to Saturday afternoon, and my cousin said, screw that, we'll just go back to doing it at home. So this is how uh, they actually ran it for about the first eight years or so. It was held at my cousin Bert's house or his friend uh, Scott's house. Now, they decided to bring it back to Scott's house this year. And instead of the normal three tables, it was a more intimate two tables uh, with 18 players total. Now, it was always tough getting a full 27 uh, players, you know, that's three full tables, just a home game kind of thing, right? So this year, getting 18 was super easy, they told me. And the buy-in was $110, with $100 going to the prize pool, and $10 went to hot dogs, hot links, and sodas, and some raffle prizes, right? Uh, it was also a BYOB affair, so I brought a few uh, bottles of beer for myself. Now, for this tournament, and for most home games, right, uh, the deal often gets passed around the table, but what they decided was to have one dealer at each table. My cousin Bert was one of the dealers, and I was the other one, right? I was a dealer slash player. So because we both agreed to do it, uh, we were allowed to buy in for a little bit less, which of course is fine with me because I enjoy dealing, and paying less for that same prize pull that everyone else is going for, that's definitely a win in my book, right? Now, uh, the great thing about having one of the players be the full-time dealer, uh, is that you also get in more hands. You don't have to pass the deal and things go slow, right? With different people collecting the blinds and antis every time. So, uh, we were playing 20 minute levels and at my table with me dealing, we made it through more than one orbit every 20 minutes for the first three rounds at least. And, uh, for any of you experienced, live home game players you know that as the blinds go up and stacks get smaller there are lots of all-ins and people thinking about their decisions so poker slows down big time uh this happened for us at around level 4 right now it took about 3 hours before we got into the money and uh the money was the top 5 players I didn't write this down I should have but fifth place won $80. fourth place got 140, third place was something around 250, second place around 400 and first place somewhere over 600. Uh I didn't really keep track but I know for sure fifth place got 80 bucks because that was the place that I busted in. At least I was in the money. Um so But I ended up making a few dollars because of my discount for being a dealer, but I also got to have a few beers and hang out with a great group of people, so it was a way better Black Friday than all of us experienced back in 2011, you know. I know that traditionally two-table tournaments pay out the top four players, but my cousin and his friend, they decided to pay out the top five just so that one extra person got paid. Now, there's an interesting story and a lesson learned with my fifth place finish, and I'll get to that in a little bit. But first, leading up to the tournament, I always do a little preparation for it, and I want to talk about that next because I think these are important things that you need to do as well to prepare for any live tournaments that you play, especially if you don't frequently play in them. The first part of my preparation was playing a lot of online tournaments. I didn't really feel like going to the card room and playing live, like in a nightly tournament. Uh, and the reason why is because that just takes a lot of time and I can fit in so many more tournaments and so many more hands in the same time it takes me to go to the card room. And I'm also doing it from the comfort of my home, right? Uh, plus, in the small stakes online games that I play, $3.50 and $7 sit and goes, well, the type of players there are basically the same that I was going to face in the turkey shoot. Now, I know this because I've been playing with many of these players for years, like Bert, Scott, Rudy, Jacob, Tony, Jared, Gene, Don, Sarah, and Donnell. So many familiar faces at these things, right? And if you're a live tournament player at your local card room, yeah, probably a lot of the same faces too, right? Especially a lot of retired people, I guess. But, You know, for the same thing, just like my tournament, you know a lot of those players already if you play in them frequently. Now, a lot of these players in my game, and if you play in a nightly tournament at your casino, they're your standard low buy-in passive type of player. You know they're quite limpy and cally pre-flop, right? They just love to call withdraws and any pair pl- post-flop as well. But when they get aggressive with big bets and raises, it's pretty darn easy to fold all but the best hands against them. Now, I'm sure that you know exactly what I'm talking about if you have experience playing in those local nightly tournaments. Most players are very loose and passive, but occasionally you're going to find some pretty aggressive ones. In the turkey shoot, I'm one of the aggressive ones, but on the tighter side. I'm, I'm tight aggressive all the time, whether it's tournament or cash games live or online. Now, there is one guy named Tony and another guy named Eddie, though. They were pretty darn loose and aggressive during the tournament. So those are the ones at my table that I had to watch out for, especially when they still had position on me. But Eddie busted out before we went down to one table, and Tony actually busted out on the bubble. I survived that loose aggressive player, or both of them, right? Now, I think Eddie got a couple of bad beats and a few big losing hands, uh, and so he ended up going out because of that, and that's a really critical issue. You know, when you're a tournament player, you need to build up those chips as quick as you can, and we'll get to a little bit about stealing to maintain or to build your stack in a bit, but, uh, uh, getting back to the action, right, Tony, the other loose aggressive player, he was burning chips, uh, with his loose aggressive play at the final table, uh, well, that, that's how he built his chips in the first place. He was right around the chip lead when we went to, to, when we went down to one table, but he kept up with that loose aggressive nature. And then he was just burning through chips because of some big mistakes that other players capitalized on. So he ended up going out on the bubble, sixth place. Now, the key lesson with live tournaments, and actually this goes for any style or type of buy-in, you must understand the players that you're up against. Now, I believe that at any table, you can classify all of your opponents into their player type within the first two orbits, sometimes within just the first few hands, right? If you see somebody doing a ton of limping, you can assume they are like uh, just passive players in general, and they just want to see flops and they hope to hit something big. So, You can also assume that this passive pre-flop style is going to bleed into their post-flop game, so they may be a little bit harder to bluff, especially on wet boards, or boards that just have a lot of middle cards and broadways that hit their calling ranges. But if you see another player getting aggressive with open raises, c-bets, donk bets, pot-sized bets, bets when they get checked to, uh, you can pretty safely assume that they are a loose aggressive player and they like to push people around with their chips. Now, as soon as you understand what type of player you're up against, especially in live tournaments where the blinds go up super quick, you need to start exploiting them ASAP so you can earn their chips. So if you know somebody's ultra loose aggressive and you have position on them, it's a really good idea to start re-aggressing against them when you know they can find a fold. Or stay in the pot with some very good speculative hands, and as soon as you hit something for value, go for max value post-flop. Now on the other hand, if you know that a player is super loose and they love to call, then you should be value betting larger than usual. Maybe you flop top pair and you're in position, they check to you. Don't do your standard 2 or 3 big blinds or half pot or something, right? Make it 5 or 6 big blinds or 3 quarter pot. If you think this loose passive player can give you value, go for as much as possible because one of your goals in tournaments is to chip up as much as possible so you have a better chance of making it deep and into the money. So exploiting what you know, either they're loose, either they're aggressive, uh, either they uh, love to call, they love to fold, not really love to fold, but they're quick to fold. That's how you're going to accumulate chips is exploiting their tendencies. Now, the next thing to prepare yourself for in a tournament is the structure, and you want to at least look into it before you enter the tournament or before you start playing, right? it's This is really easy to do with casino tournaments because they usually have structure sheets printed out or you can find them online. In our tournament, we've always played with 20-minute levels, uh, which makes it basically a, a live turbo tournament. Now, I'm very familiar with Turbo Tournament, so I know that I need to begin making moves fairly quickly, and we started with about 130 big blinds in the tournament, but with blinds doubling every 20 minutes, that shrunk super quick. Uh, people were starting to go all in in just the fourth level, and I think the first bust out took place in the fourth or maybe the fifth level, I don't remember exactly. Now, when people start busting out, everyone realizes that their tournament life is potentially on the line now as well. This means you have to look for people who are overly concerned with busting out. Now, two guys in particular, Joey and Jared, they both seem to not take too many risks, and when they come out betting, it's with a pair or better, almost always. So when you find these scaredy cats, you've got to target them for blind steals and for iso raise stealing pre-flop when they limp in. Their limp means they want to see the flop cheap and they don't think their hand is good enough for a raise. So that's when you make it four, five, six big blinds just to get them to fold. Now, if anties are in play, you're picking up a quick three and a half big blinds or more when you make a simple iso raise just to five big blinds. Now, speaking of stealing, you have got to prepare yourself to steal a ton of pots. Preflop stealing of the blinds and anties, that is a must But everyone kind of already knows that, right? In these low-stakes live tournaments, most people steal with open raises a ton. But most people don't do it with 3-bets. Nobody's comfortable 3-betting unless they have aces, kings, queens, or ace-king. So these are the perfect tournaments to punish players who open raise too many hands, as well as those who are stealing in the cutoff and the button too often. Because they're all going to be quick to fold to your 3-bet because most people view the 3-bet as a super strong hand, like I just said. Now, to find players who will fold to your 3-bet, pay attention to every showdown, or in these low-stakes games, especially home games, people often just turn their hand over and show you what they had, right? Well, as soon as you see somebody in the early position or the middle position open raise with a jack-9 suited or ace-6 offsuit or pocket threes, target them for 3-bet steals, especially when you have position. A good time to test this out is in the early rounds when you've got lots of chips and the antis just haven't kicked in yet. Now, I don't want you to think that stealing is all about pre-flop. There's also post-flop stealing. A lot of these low-stakes tournament players are calling stations, so it's hard to bluff them. But pay attention to players who seem to call a lot pre-flop, especially out of the blinds, and then fold frequently versus c-bets. When you spot them, raise their blinds, then c-bet every flop. Your job is to build your stack, so targeting players who call pre-flop, then give up quickly on the flop, are incredibly rich targets. This is another reason why it's critical uh, to try to play hands from the cutoff and the button as much as possible. These are the best positions at the table because you have the most information on your opponents, and they just don't understand the value of position as well as you do. So take advantage of this by raising weak players when they're in the blinds and uh calling or three betting other weak players who acted before you when you're in those best positions. Also, lastly, about pre-flop stealing or post-flop stealing. Take lots of stabs at the pot when they check to you. These players, they bet for value when they have top pair better, so their check indicates weakness. <laughs> and, you know, I just realized, I just said that these players bet for value when they have top pair or better. And sure, sometimes they do, but they also bet for other reasons that I don't recommend you bet for. They bet for protection, or they bet to see where they're at. Now, in the tournament, I can't remember who did this. Uh, it might have been Eddie. I saw this one player bet two times the pot on a flop of 10-4-4. Everyone folded, and he showed a 10. And so somebody asked him, why did you bet so much? And his answer was, I was worried somebody had a four. So he was betting for protection with the top pair hand, but he was worried somebody had a four? It would make more sense if he was worried somebody had an ace, a king, a queen, or a jack, and they wouldn't want to fold on that hard-to-hit board. That makes more sense. So maybe he was lying, or I don't know what was going on there. It just seems like a really weird reason to bet, especially a reason to bet two times pot, right? He he kind of turned a potential value betting hand into a bluff um, with that super large size because it made it really easy for everybody just to fold who didn't have a pair and couldn't contend. Okay, the last thing that's very important to prepare for and to look out for in the tournament is the payout structure and just getting into the money or the money bubble. My cousin Bert announced it right after he collected everyone's money, and he put the prizes into the envelopes, and he told us what all the prizes were. At card rooms, they won't announce it until after the rebuy or the reentry period ends. Now, your ultimate goal with any tournament is, uh, of course, it's to take the whole thing down in first place, but a secondary goal that leads to winning is making the money. So you must be aware of when the bubble is so that you can adjust your play accordingly. Now, if you're a short or a medium stack on the bubble, then you want to attack medium stacks who have a fear of busting. Don't just attack large stacks who might be more willing to call to look you up. A loose player with a 40 big blind stack, they won't think twice about calling your eight big blind shove in an effort just to crack you. So don't be surprised if you raise all in and you see them show up with ace three offsuit, king seven suited, or pocket fours. Now, you might be ahead of them with ace 10, ace nine, king jack suited, pocket nines. But if you were bluffing with jack seven offsuit in the hopes of adding some quick chips and they called with king seven suited, you are probably leaving the table. Now, if you're a large stack, you wanna pick on anyone who can find a fold, but watch out for short stacks who feel pot committed. They might have just two and a half big blinds and they're not folding anything in the big blind or even in the small blind. So if you have 20 big blinds, Losing 2.5 big blinds isn't the end of the world, but one or two more mistakes like this and your 20 big blind stack can be a 5 big blind shorty super quick. I challenge you. <laughs> Before your next live tournament, do a little preparation first. Don't just show up and start playing. Think about the types of players you'll likely face and review the structure sheet. Gauge when you think you'll enter the money so that you can be prepared for the bubble. While at the table, look for players who are likely to fold pre-flop and post-flop and target them with your steals. And above all, have fun and good luck! Now I challenge you to take action! After the break, I'll hit you with a big lesson learned. We have just a few shout outs today. Andrew Morris picked up the best poker tracking software available, Poker Tracker 4. He went to smartpokerstudy.com slash pokertracker4, checked out what the software has to offer, and then ba-bam, he made the purchase. He let me know via email, forwarded me his confirmation, and then I sent to him my Smart HUD in thanks. So thank you very much, Andrew Morris. And speaking of the smart HUD, Don Schweier already had PokerTracker 4, but he needed the best HUD in the business. So he picked up the smart HUD for PokerTracker 4. He went to smartpokerstudy.com slash smart HUD, and now he's using it to crush his opponents. Thank you, Don. And lastly, some webinars. Woo, these have been really popular effective HUD use webinar was picked up by Chris Wasson and Greg Thompson. So speaking of that smart HUD, speaking of poker tracker 4 these two players, Chris and Greg, they need to use that HUD maybe a little bit more effectively. And this webinar is their chance to do so, or their chance to learn how to do so. It's going to be up to them to take action on the felt to really learn their HUD. Now, the How to Study Poker webinar was picked up by Lars. Thank you very much, Lars. And then, getting the most from Poker Tracker 4. Three people bought this one Paula, Dale Silver, and Ian. Yep, yep, we are all about the online poker play here. And everything this week, how to study poker, getting the most book poke from PokerTracker 4, and then effective HUD use, well, all these webinars are all centered around online play. So thank you very much, everybody, for your support. And then now, let's get back to class. Alrighty, let's talk about my lesson learned. That lesson is to speak up during the chopping discussion. So because I didn't speak up, I think I missed out on $200. So here's the situation. Uh, Tony just busted in sixth. So now we were in the money with the five of us. I was a short stack uh, along with Donnell and Rudy. Now we each had Looking down, I didn't really count fully, but I estimated we each had only about two and a half to three big blinds. Now, the two big stacks, they had way more than us. One was at roughly 12 and the other at 10 or maybe 11 and nine big blinds, something right around there. Now, if we had chopped evenly, we would have netted around $330 each or so. Now, my idea would have been for the three short stacks, me included, to give $25 each to the big stacks. Now, this would have netted each of them a little over $400, and we would walk out. The short stacks would walk out with $280. Not too bad, right? Seen as, especially as how fifth place was only $80. Second, or fourth place was, uh, uh fifth place 80, second place was $140, right? Now, they had all been drinking a bit and nobody was making much sense and they were just talking over each other. So I just kind of sat there quiet, hoping they would come to a deal on a conclusion. If I didn't like it, I would jump in and say, no, guys, this is what we should do. But then Rudy said at the urging of Scott, who wasn't even involved, he was just watching the action. He was saying, come on, guys, play it out, play it out. He always wants us to play it out, right? Um And if he's in it, he'll totally play it out every time, too. And then Rudy said, screw it. Let's just play it out. I think if I would have spoken up with my idea, uh, I could have turned my two and a half big blind stack from going out in fifth place and earning 80. I could have turned that into just chopping the tournament, ending it right there and walking out with $280. Now, I think I screwed up and I cost myself 200 bucks by being quiet because I think they all would have agreed would be my guess. Now, Another thing that I could have done, but I didn't do, I could have, uh, you know, whipped out my smartphone and uh, went to some ICM chopping software. If you go to icmpoker.com slash ICM calculator, and I actually have a video in the show notes for today showing this, right? Um, This is an ICM calculator. Now, ICM is independent chip model, and that tells you based on the number of chips that you have and the number of chips your opponents have and the prize payouts, uh, what your chip stack is worth in real dollars. So after the fact, when I went to the computer and inputted the numbers for everybody and what I estimated the prize payouts were, cause I didn't know exactly. ICM says that I should have, or my chip stack was worth about $230. So I think they would have all. Uh, agreed to my deal and I would have walked out with 280. So I would have been a bit better off had I done my deal than if we had actually used the ICM, right? But I think this ICM, uh, uh, final table deal calculator, it's great just to give you an idea of what the actual dollars of your stack is worth. Of course, who knows? You could be dealt pocket aces the next three hands, double up and then just take the whole thing down in three hands. You, you just don't know what's going to happen. Or you could be dealt do seven offsuit every single hand you easily bust in the next, next time you're in the big blind, right? Well, ICM calculator, it's really good. Just to give you an idea of what your chip stack is worth, you don't even have to tell everybody this. If you know that your chip stack is worth 230, but everybody agrees that you get paid out 280, hey, great. That's good on you, right? You made a little bit more money. Now, of course, you could have just stayed in and played it out and earned the whole 650 bucks or whatever the top payout was. Or you could have done what I did and get knocked down fifth and just make 80 bucks. So it's not cheating them because ICM isn't truly what you should chop it at. It's what everybody agrees to. As long as everybody agrees to it, that is the correct amount. And if it's better than what ICM tells you, hey, you just made some money on the deal. So the next time you're in a chopping situation, go to icmpoker.com slash ICM calculator and try it out for yourself. You'll probably have to estimate everybody's chip stacks, but while they're talking for a few minutes on what the best deal is, you can whip that out, uh, enter the numbers in, find out the value, and then fight for better. Alrighty, make sure you head on over to smartpokerstudy.com pod268 for the show notes, for related links, and for that ICM video I created. Thanks as always for listening, and I will be back next week with a brand new episode. If you enjoyed today's, I invite you to check out thepokerforge.com. This is the essential resource for any poker player at any stage of the game especially if you want to turn bad calls into money-saving folds this month, because that's what we are all about in December. We have a growing video library, guided action steps, quizzes, live monthly Q&As, exclusive member-only discounts, perks, and resources, along with a supportive and active poker community. The Poker Forge is the place for you to up your game. So check out Pokerforge.com today. And of course, don't miss my daily Poker Tips podcast. You can get it as an Alexa skill for any English-speaking Alexa user, and you can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, study smart, play much, and make your next session the best one yet.